Welcome to one of my favorite subjects in the Virtual Cisco Happy Hour. We've got Chris Hamblin again with us one more time. Thank you, Chris, for coming up. Appreciate it. Appreciate all your help. Uh, we're lucky enough to also have Joe Bruffy today with us as a guest panelist. So we're here today to talk about too many tools, right? So one of the biggest problems I've seen in information security over the years is having 40 tools, having a tool to do this, a tool to do that, a tool to do this. And the problem with that is, in my opinion, is a lot of companies will invest, right? And they wind up investing in shelfware. So you've got a tool that's half integrated or not integrated at all. And long story made short, now you got it sitting on a shelf somewhere, right? Or partially, partially on a shelf. So, or they don't integrate. So you've got two tools from the same vendor that definitely, you know, that don't communicate well. And so you get one set of data out of one, then you've got to repeat that or potential part of your your, your your data or your questions into the second tool. So anyhow, so I brought want to bring Joe Bruffy and Chris Hamblin in and kind of get some of their experiences and their thoughts on tool sets and how we how we as experts can help align our tool sets better. So what can we do to improve our clients? What we can do to improve our work, our, our workloads, what we can do to help our teams. Joe, why don't you go ahead while Chris is checking his mic? Why don't you go and introduce yourself and give us your thoughts on the opening thoughts on this topic today? Yeah, sure. My name is uh, Joe Bruffy. Yeah, I've been uh, in the infrastructure uh, and engineering areas um, for the last 25 years or so. Uh, I have seen many times where you have so many tools, you, you just can't look at them all. Um, and sometimes, you know, you can start integration paths, you know, to uh, combine the data. But if you have redundant tools, it's just never, it's never helpful. Uh, Chris, you got your mic kicks fixed yet? All right. Is that better? Much better. Thank you. All sir. right. All right. Sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> uh, uh, sorry, Chris Hamblin. I'm a, a, a director of uh, uh, IT for a, a large international organization. I've uh, you know got a background in uh, general governance, risk, and compliance. Uh, working for one of the largest uh, consulting firms in the in the world. Um, uh, general uh, discussion point around. Uh, my feeling are, are around the, the the multitude of of different shelfware and and that uh, it was it was the topic right. Uh, wait, tool sets. Okay. Tool, tool sets. sets. Tool sets. So yeah, uh, obviously the the biggest concern with uh, having multiple tool tool sets is um, the 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 technical staff within within the organization, um, especially as you get turnover. Right, everybody wants to bring in their own tool sets. That hey, I've got some experience with this in the in the in the past or what have you. Um, and then they they're like, okay, I want to bring in this new tool set, and they and they constantly are churning and and playing with implementing new tools on a regular basis. Uh, they, they only get to a point of, you know, maybe 80% completion from a deployment standpoint before someone else brings in another, another tool set. Old tool sets never get deprecated. New tool sets continue to be at, added on. Um, obviously, from a network perspective, that causes more and more, you know, uh, chatter in the overall environment, um, more up, upkeep and ma management of those different tool sets, as well as um, creating a larger and larger footprint from a vulnerability standpoint. It's not like these uh, tool sets them, themselves uh, don't have their own vulnerabilities that also have yeah. to be managed and upkeeped and, and, and whatnot. So those are some of my general, you know, high level uh, uh, points. So Awesome. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. 
So one of the things that I've seen and one of the, my biggest concerns as a CISO uh, beyond cost, and we'll talk about cost in a few minutes, but for me, it's about risk, right? So you've, if we have 25 tools or even let's just, let's get a little more realistic. We have six tools, right? And these six tools, three of which are, as Chris explained, you know, somebody came in and brought their favorite tool with them. Joe brought his favorite tool with them. I brought mine. You know, they they provide a risk themselves just by sitting there. If they're especially if they're not managed, people forget they're they're in existence. Or worse, during an event. Now, Joda uses one tool and knows one tool. Chris knows is another. You know, Chris is using another tool, for example, and we get a lot of pressure of the sea levels to get answers quickly. People under stress make mistakes to begin with. And then when you've got multiple tools there, the cost of the mistakes are greater, in my opinion. And the stress is much higher for folks during an incident when they've got multiple tools or trying to figure out what happened and what's going on and, and how they block it. So, Joe, what, what is your what's your opinion? What's your thought on something along those lines? What have you seen? Oh, wow. Yeah, I've seen lots of things. I've seen where people try to, you know, manage an entire network worth of logs without a SIM or, you know, and they, they don't want to leverage SOAR because they're scared of it. Um, yeah, I've seen where, you know, you only deploy 1% or 5% of a tool, even if it's only 80%. I mean, I've seen it where you have, you know, uh, a tool that's capable of performing a task that, or the requirement that you have, but you don't realize it because it's not cataloged somewhere end up implementing something else, not even looking inside, hey, what, what can we do with our tool set? What are the actual capabilities? Uh, everyone only you know, looks at, okay, what do I need to do for this moment? What's the task? And, and they do that. They don't say, okay, what else can we do with this in the future? And then have a catalog of that. Here's our capabilities. And, you know, there's always going to be some overlap. And that's just the fact. I mean, you know, Sims try to... Uh, you know, act as a threat detection and threat detection, you know, network threat detection tries to act as a SIM or, yeah. you know, DLP solutions try to act as things that they're not, you know, identity access management or vice versa even. So it's a, sometimes you can't avoid the overlap. So Chris, what's your thought on tool sprawl and, and creating complexity within the network and within the individuals using it? So my my biggest comment, I'm going to take this from a little bit different per perspective from a from a business process perspective, right? The without clear cut business processes, how our cybersecurity team, how our technical team or what have you, whoever's holding that hat at the time, if they don't have processes in place uh, lined out on how do we block and tackle whatever the, the problem is, and they've got a multitude of solutions out there, then it's picking and choosing. It's finding the needle in the haystack instead of uh, having a process of pulling the needle out of the haystack instead of rummaging around through it, right? If we've got a process in in, in place and say, okay, this is the, the this is where we're detecting it. Okay, do we have any cross-correlation between our different tool sets um, that, that we're able to actually pinpoint um, where that is? Do we have processes in, in place and know what the communication line is, is supposed to be? Building out the, those, those business processes for the cybersecurity team to, to then utilize and implement, it means much more than the actual tools them, themselves, right? Um, that, that's just my personal opinion. No, I agree. I actually agree 100% because without your processes, I don't care what tool you're using, it won't matter if you don't have your processes down. And if you don't communicate those processes between the different teams and different team members, just, just my nickel. 
That's yeah. minor. As well as then you, you've got training opportunities, right? I mean, the, the reality is that the more tool sets that you have, how many of those tool sets do you have people that are actually good at utilizing to be able to find that needle in the haystack? Um, you, you know, no one person can be great at all things, right? So you've got, you know, th this person that's great, great at this th thing, and that person that's great at great at uh, the the other thing. Well, you know, you, you you if you had enough personnel to be actually great at all things, but that's not the reality of the yeah. uh, any organization, right? Most organizations try to run lean. Most organizations might have one or two or five five cybersecurity guys that are really focused on digging through those logs and business process matter more than the uh, sheer number of uh, tool sets at that point. So Joe, what, what do you think your focus should be or as, or what do you think the focus of tool sets should be for under a director or a so, so should they be looking at risk? Should they be looking at processes? Should they be looking at tools? How do you know when you have too many tools, for example? Well, yeah, I mean, there, there's some ways that you can know, uh, you know, if you look at, I, I've worked at organizations where you'd have three, you know, PAM solutions and, you know, for different reasons, but, you know, each one of them could support all three, but they don't. And, uh, you know, you try to, uh, you know, cause some are only on the endpoints, some are only on the server, you know, that's a more obvious one. Uh, but let's say you're gathering the same data from the same place or, you're processing the same data uh, in two different places. That that that's that would take doing like a full tools analysis and gap analysis to realize if you're even doing that. How are, how are we doing this today? And you know, at the end of that analysis, you have to look through and say, okay, what tools did we witness that we didn't put into this uh, gap analysis? You know, so you might even have tools like you said, they're shelfware. You know, that aren't even being used, or they're yeah. being used limited. You know, by one person. Because it came in from an outside source, but uh, you know they're they're more or less sitting there for most of the year, and yeah. and sometimes that's okay. You know, in like the case of Bloodhound, you're only going to run that once a month, yeah. or but you need to understand where that is, and that's where the risk comes in. Uh, how are how are you controlling that? Uh, how are you watching for those behaviors? But you know, you could have ten tools looking for that, so you might get ten alerts, and people are just going to run around in circles. Yep. Yep. And they also required the, like you said, you know, kind of go back a little bit to the training, you know, you've got to have the trained staff on what does that alert mean? You know, what does this alert mean for that? You know, what tool do I need to go there, go back and validate this alert on? Because I've seen that, in, I've seen that problem in the past as well. The integrations are just lacking as not real, not real thorough. So Chris is a director. How do you handle, um, multiple tool sets and how do you handle uh, the budget? I mean, do you use budget as a tool to reduce your staff's tool sets? So yes and no. Um, the, uh, the, the reality is, is that it, far too many organizations I've come, come in and, and seen that there's this, this tool sprawl that, that has occurred over time. And like I said uh, previously, I mean, most of the time that tool sprawl has occurred by you, you hire on, you know, senior engineers and stuff that have great expertise in tools and they keep adding on other tool sets and never de uh, deprecating, you know, old tool sets. Um, almost inevitably, when I've gone into those environments, we always have to do a application uh, rationalization engagement 
engagement, right? Um, basically, I, I, I create, you know, in general, it's 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 a simple spreadsheet. Um, but that but that simple spreadsheet has you know all the different tool sets uh, on it. Whether you know you're talking about you know Splunk or Orion, Firescope, Extra Hop, you know any of those um, uh, fantastic tool sets. Uh, um, and then it, then then kind of on the on the on the side here, I mean, we got categorizations of you know different you know can it do application mapping? Uh, what kind of reporting is it is it capable of? Does it help the organization from a troubleshooting or a configuration push management uh, type thing? Um, whether or not it has uh, the ability to you know do log aggregations? Does it have other uh, security mechanisms uh, for you know managing things like certificate managements and and those type of things? And what are different integration capabilities of all of those different platforms? And creating kind of a heat map of all of those different applications and then including into that also the general cost of all of those so that you can say, hey, okay, these are what we've prioritized from an organization or most critical decision-making points as to what we have to get done at a very minimum. And then uh, these different applications kind of fit those fit those needs. Um, but at the same time, we can take in, into a cost uh, of those things. But then we've got other applications that are doing a lot of duplication of some of those efforts. You know, you might have, say, a Firescope or an extra hop both in the environment that both do very similar type of uh, uh, type of things. But hey, one one uh, one was deployed by the server admins. The other one is de deployed by the network team, right? Well, the, the, it's a it's not necessarily you know uh, uh, beneficial to the organization to really have both of those different tool sets uh, deployed at the same same turn. So um, you know, kind of heat mapping that, making some decisions, and then narrowing it down to possibly you know two or two or three different tool sets that meet your overall need as well as your your budgetary concerns from an organization I think is highly critical especially as a uh, a new director VP or, or C, a CIO or, or CTO or whatever uh, may come into an organization this is something that I would highly uh, recommend folks to do nice nice appreciate that Chris appreciate it so you're you're focused more around the process of onboarding. You're looking at the risk of onboarding. You're looking at the risk of keeping things in in the environment, deprecating them out of the environment. That, that's that's a pretty good that's a pretty good perspective. I appreciate that. I appreciate that, Chris. So Joe, a uh, question for you. Um, so what are the impact? Eh, well, let's not talk about that right now. Let's let's come back to that. So what about the decreased efficiency? So how do you see efficiency a play into your tool sets that you choose in your in in the environments that you work with your clients? Do you consider uh, do you consider efficiency in part of your tool sets and having too many tool sets increased or decreased efficiency? Uh, absolutely. So I mean, I've seen where you know you'll have uh, vulnerability management systems that can tie in with you know say router configuration tools, and uh, you know if you pick the wrong stack, you're going to have you know five windows to view, you know, instead of one, uh, and you. Know, you can even get it where it'll integrate with change management. So uh, where it might take you three or four weeks of one person looking at an application to figure out what the actual impact is, which I, I don't think any organization really does unless they have one of these tools because it would cost way too much. You know, what, what am I opening up for a vulnerability? Uh, well, you know, they're, they're just not going to do that. So you, you could end up needing, you know, five or six more staff which may be more expensive than a tool. Uh, yeah. But you could also have, you know, five different locations that you're trying to pull the same information from and it may conflict. Yeah. You know? 
because you're not maintaining it properly because there's too many tools. Uh, yeah, I've seen where there's even two vulnerability uh, scanners in an environment and yep. because they don't have the complete picture uh, on either one, you don't even know what to attack. You know, what is your real priority? <laughs> so investing in something like a SOAR tool where you'd have the security orchestration automation and, and you know, and uh, resistance, you'd have to automatically uh, respond to things. So you'd have the response piece and that may reduce some of your risks. That may reduce some of your tool sets. I, I remember you talking about SOAR earlier, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. You can definitely reduce some risk because you're taking some of the human element out of it. Because uh, response time is going to be way quicker. Because if I have a, an alert that only that, that I see, how long does it take for me to say, okay, where did it happen? Where do I shut this user down? Where if it's uh, uh, e even if it's only semi-automated, it says, hey, yeah, the, we saw this behavior, and you want us to block at all these points. You, you could do that. Now, if you have too much tool sprawl or you're not paying attention to your tool stack, you, you may have to do a lot of manual things and leave threats open longer uh, than you would have needed to which could obviously be detrimental. Thank you. Hey, Chris, last time we were, you were on, you uh, had mentioned a couple of things afterwards, such as, you know, part of your security risk assessment is actually looking at your tool sets. How do you use a security risk assessment and what steps do you take to ensure that you're using the correct tools? Um, so the the... I think that everything really starts with having a clear understanding as to what your asset list is, right? Um, are, do you actually have a, a complete and managed uh, configuration management database or a CMDB, right? Ultimately, that's going to say is to what you're trying to protect. And um, then you can utilize uh, other tool sets to then uh, cross-correlate with that to validate, hey, are we actually getting logs from all of those different systems? Are they going into, say, Azure Sentinel? Are they going to a, into some other SimTool, uh, Splunk, or something along those lines, right? And, and actually validating that we're actually receiving logs from all of our firewalls, all of our switches, all of our um, uh, servers and workstations and, and whatnot, whatever the, those vulnerability uh, assessment type tools are so that we can actually, you know, make sure that we're capturing all of the data. Then once we've actually got all of that data, then evaluating as to whether or not um, we, we have uh, uh, tool sets in place to help us prioritize the vulnerability ma management around those uh, systems so that we have um, uh, because the, that first time, especially that first time that you start running those type of tool sets wow. against your envi environment, it's going to be so much data to try to actually figure out, okay, where do I tackle first? Because it's it's just enormous, right? Do I need to bring in 100 people to start your remediating this? The reality is no, we need to figure out, hey, where's our biggest foot footprint and where's our most critical and how easy is, is it to exploit those different vulnerabilities so that we tackle those pieces first before moving on, you know, to the to the next, you know, highest and, and, and so on and so forth. Although you may have a really large uh, footprint of a specific vulnerability, if the, uh, the, the means of exploiting that is extremely difficult, as well as the, uh, the, the, the means of remediation of that is extremely difficult, um, it, whether or not it's internal or external also, that may actually decrease your, your, your prioritization of that. You want those 
uh, highly ex exploitable and um, uh, most uh, publicly uh, accessible uh, things uh, to be you know remediated first, and then you start you know clo closing in on uh, on the things that are uh, that are a lot more difficult to exploit. Um, you know, whether you know we're, 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 those things that are able to be exploited by. Uh, other tool sets are ones that you're probably going to want to want to hit on first uh, before thing uh, trying to do things that are anything uh, exploitable by manual mean, means or, or what have you. So um, that, that that's my personal recommendation from a from a business imp impact analysis. When we when we capture and do a business impact analysis and and we break down the organization by uh, business functions and, and from that capture those applications, those applications are ultimately going to uh, be that list of different applications that we're gonna try to secure. Other applications that are inside the organization, if the BIA is truly complete, other applications that may be deployed in the organization, we need to evaluate whether or not we actually need to decom or move those applications from the environment to decrease our overall footprint. Um, it, does that make sense? It does. It does. Okay. It does. Actually, because I was sitting there just thinking about when you're talking. So it, one of the things that you had mentioned there is your tools and your impact user, you know, your uh -huh. user productivity, right? So our our security engineers are users, right? So if we have too many tools, we have, you know, poorly trained individuals. Now we've got, you know, our, our, our productivity is negatively impacted, correct? I mean, right. so those are some of the things we, and that also, you know, that also increases your complexity of your risk by having all these different tool sets. Yep. And yep. by using your BIA and your risk assessment, you reduce those because now you identify those. Uh, mm -hmm. Does that pretty much uh, wrap up my understanding of what you were what you were just what you were just talking about, Chris. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and, and this was kind of the 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 side note that I had kind of mentioned there. There's two two big things from completing a BIA or, or a DRA or a complete uh, overall BCP for an organization as major benefits that we really didn't talk about on the uh, the the last one that I was on, and and that's the um, the. By doing that type of engagement, you find you find a lot of uh, business functions within the organization that may be duplicated. Hey, this department's doing something, and this other department's doing almost the exact same thing. They might be utilizing you know even different tool sets in in some cases, and so there may be streamlines of overall business efficiencies to truly be gained there outside of anything that may be you know security related or business continuity related. But there's lots of other benefits of actually doing a BIA. And, and completing the overall uh, risk assessment to the organization. Um, in addition to that is, I don't know how many times I've, I've literally, we've gone through, okay, we did the BIA, we interviewed every single department, we've documented all of their major business fu functions of those departments and the tool sets that those, those business functions utilize and establish RTOs and RPOs, well, would then when we do a true evaluation of the, the technology that's actually deployed within the organization, we may find 15 or 20 applications out there that is just sitting stagnant. And, or we've got a server admin that, hey, they're updating the software on a regular basis and, and, and maintaining you know, vulnerability management and, uh, on those platforms, and those platforms aren't being used. Because the business sometimes doesn't always talk talk to uh, the the folks that are actually uh, remediating uh, the, those and keeping up to date those those different systems. So so that that's a complete uh, waste of manpower that obviously could be utilized in other ways. Yeah. So Joe, what's what's the importance of understanding some of your your organization security needs? How does that play into your tool set uh, selections? 
Well, of course, that's going to get you your your requirements and uh, dictate what process you need to do. I mean, tools are are used to fill in the needs of a process, right? Um, and then you can potentially automate that process. Now, if you pick a tool that can't be automated, it's always going to be manual. Um, or if you pick a tool that doesn't fit all the needs of the of the process, you're, you're not going to be able to complete those tasks. So, you know, you really have a few layers on there. Uh, that, that could impact your your tool selection. Awesome. So, what? How? What's Chris? Or Joe? Either one. Jump in. How important is it for you to have a plan to? Uh, let me let me rephrase. I apologize, folks. I got to rethink that question. What's the importance of having to plan to respond to security incidents with your tool set specifically? And again, I'm trying to keep this around tool set conversation, not necessarily the processes, because we know the tools can't fix broken processes, as Chris called out earlier. But how important is that, Joe, to have your plan to respond to your incidents with your specific tools? Uh, you need to make sure that you know how to get into them, how to move through them, how to get data, you know, to perform your correlation. So, you know, if you, if you don't know how they function and you can't get the right people on the, on the call or something, you know, you need to be way too specialized to operate and you, know, you might need another tool in front of it, or you might need, you know, some training, or you might just need a different tool to make sure that everyone can operate uh, inside of that process. Yeah. Um, Tools require auto tools require, you know, maintenance, ongoing maintenance, things of that nature too. They're just a piece of software, typically speaking. Like anything Absolutely. else. Yeah, and I've seen it where, you know, operating system version can even play into that where you know it's a, it doesn't support past, you know, uh, Windows 10, you know, uh, whatever, just pick a patch update, you know, and then other ones won't work in Windows eleven and other, some won't work past Windows eight, you know. Keeping them up to date is great. Being able to utilize them is better. Uh, <laughs> yes, absolutely. You know, and making sure that they're still relevant, you know, because you you could have a you could have tools that start pulling in the same data, you know. So you, you may have, that's why you really need to look at your tools. What new features have come out? What's the roadmaps? But. Uh, so, Chris, what's your stance on DIY tools? So, you're working at a large shop and you create your own tools. What's your stance on that, Chris? What, what's what are the great things and the bad things? What, what's the good, bad, the ugly about creating your own tools? Uh, obviously, the good, from the good side of the house is most of, most of the time the initial cost, right? And when I say the initial cost, I truly mean the initial cost. So, Splunk is expensive. Everybody knows that. Right. But you may be able to create something in house or implement some off the shelf uh, type SIM uh, tool set. But where are you going to find folks? A, a you're going to you're going to have a couple of folks that may be really doing a whole lot of development on that for quite a few years. What happens when they leave? Bringing in another engineer that, hey, they may know your 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 top dogs, your your Splunk or what have you out there, but do they do they know this ingrown uh, tool set? How do they run queries on it? How how do they actually build reporting and alerting and stuff on, on it and stuff? They're learning the wheel from from scratch on it in a in a solution that was built from uh, in house that you can't go out and do any additional research on. You can't do training on and whatnot, and so that adds to your ongoing um, uh, management 
upfront cost of that that solution that upfront people may not may not uh, you know really see as uh, really beneficial. Um, uh, so many or- organizations do absolutely consider uh, cybersecurity as a cost center. It's a risk redun- reduction, but at the same turn, when you're bringing in tool sets like a Splunk and saying, "Hey, we've got to spend five hundred thousand dollars a year on a, on a Splunk just due to our sheer uh, number of vo- volumes," that'll get a CFO as ears preached real quick. Um, so- <laughs> yes, I've had that conversation. With you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, uh, me, me personally, uh, I, you definitely have to to, to weigh it out. Um, I I lean uh, away from uh, DIY uh, tool sets in general. Um, some open source uh, tool sets, and you know that some of them are actually pretty good out there, especially in the cybersecurity uh, realm. But at the same same turn, if if they are lower cost, they are not necessarily always the most intuitive either as as joe kind of pointed out right um yeah you you might be able to run query against that that sim sim data but how do you run that query is are you going to have to be picking and uh, picking away uh, trying to figure out how to actually you know develop the syntax to uh to run the query or is it you know more uh, uh standard english uh type of verbiage or whatever and it can uh, interpret that and understand it so that so it's a skill you know, set Almost anybody can do it, right? Yeah, exactly. So, awesome, Joe. What kind of risks do you see uh, DIY tools adding into an organization, or do you see them as a risk? Do you see them as a benefit? Oh, there's there's definitely some huge risk there. Uh, a lot of times, it just has to do with access. I mean, so you know, developers aren't very security conscious usually, and uh, security people usually aren't very good developers. So you know, though that that alone would cause some issues. That's you know, a if you're, yeah, yeah, because you you know you're gonna have too much access to a database, or you're gonna be accessing databases in ways that you shouldn't. Um, and I, I have seen instances where it's the only option because you know there's yeah say you need to track a piece of hardware and there's nothing that can recognize or track it because it's pretty new. This happened with PCI. Uh, so yeah, there was a lot of lot of homegrown stuff because there wasn't anything on the roadmap to be able to track those pads, but you need to be able to track them. So sometimes there's necessity, but it, uh, I'll tell you, as soon as I can replace it, I would. Is uh, that comes into data fatigue as well? You know, yeah, I'm gonna patch it. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say as you as you were talking there, I was also thinking: do, Does the organization have proper security code reviews as well? I mean, half of that that code was probably pulled from some snippet that they found on the internet. <laughs> and 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 what is that snippet actually doing? Is it providing a function? Yes, but is it providing another function that you're not aware of? Possibly. There's yep. there's always that possibility. Yeah. So what what Joe? Let me ask you this then. So from a from a CISO perspective, Joe, I'm going to throw Joe on the spot here. What are some of the questions or some of the things that you would consider as a CISO prior to onboarding a new tool set? Oh, several things. I mean, you'd always want to go through a, you know, the security analysis, you know, does it support the minimum standards, you know, because today you'd want to see single sign-on, you'd want to see multi-factor for administration, you want to see the ability to have roles, just to simplify that part, because I mean, identity access management can have a huge cost add just in maintenance, you know, if it takes three and a half hours to put together a user because you have the wrong tools versus 10 minutes, it's a yeah, you do that a few thousand times a year. That that's very expensive. Uh, there's uh, 
you know, does it integrate with the tools I have? Does it meet the requirements I have? You know, you, so you have your weighted matrix. Okay, here's all the all the things I need this to do. Here's all the things it can do that uh, my other tools can, because I don't really need to catalog everything that it can do that other tools can do. Uh, and is that going to be on the future roadmap? So if the answer is no, or the answer is, well, these other tools do these 10 things, you may have a tool that may look superior on paper by following a checklist, but it might not be for your strategy or organization. Yeah, you, you could be picking a little single use tool, you know, just to fill that one spot, or you might be picking a wide tool or uh, just augmenting a tool you have. Awesome. Chris, same question to you. As a system, what, what do you look at from before bringing on uh, a new tool set? What kind of questions do you ask your staff or to ensure you're bringing the right tool sets on as a CISO? Yeah, so all, all of the general vendor management um, uh, and procurement type questions, you know, the, 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 you know, how well is it, it, it maintained and, and supported? What kind of escalation um, points uh, do we have? Um, what, how easy is it to, uh, to find uh, personnel to be able to su support it in, in-house? Um, I, I, as, as much as possible, I mean, there are certain pieces that I am okay with outsourcing, but at the same turn, I don't want to outsource everything. You know, I definitely want to have in, internal staff to be able to know our environment and what the actual repercussions of implementing uh, a solution is and what are we actually blocking, blocking and tackling, um, where, where are not just we know internally what our our greatest risks are to our business and um, making sure that we're actually facilitating the the needs of those uh, specific pieces um, and then the the evaluating the overall risk of that application and the uh, vendors that may be supporting it or the uh, the the application developer team can we actually shift any of those uh, risks uh, to those uh, other functions as well awesome awesome some of the things I look at as a CISO are training costs right and and how does it impact my risk assessment and how is it going to impact my risk register what do I have to add to that because honestly cots software you know commercial off-the-shelf software adds risk plain and simple. I have to train folks on how to use these tools and then tool sets. Um, to go back to Joe, you know, to Joe's point and Chris's point, you know, we look at different tools to do different things. Can we integrate the tool sets? These are some of the things that I look at uh, because of the cost factor, right? I mean, they're, they cost money for licensing. It costs money for support every year. And to have two or three tools that maybe I'm not using to its fullest extent, before I bring a new piece of software on or a new software tool set on, I try to figure out and I ask my engineers, have we validated that we don't have this uh, this ability currently? Or is this one of those 90-10 rules, right? Where one tool set does 99% of what I need or 90% of what I need. Yeah, it's going to really stink at 10%, but, you know, there's, there's a cost factor, right? So, so back to your point, Chris, you know, that a lot of organizations look at InfoSec as a cost factor, you know, as a cost cost market or because we are. We do not make any money. I don't care what anybody says. I do not earn money for the company. I can defer a lot of cost. I can defer a lot of risk, but I don't actually earn any cash, right? And so as a system, I have to, I'm always trying to think about costs, right? Trying to think how much how much am I going to spend in personnel? How much am I going to spend in training? How much am I going to spend in software? And how is this going to affect my other pieces of software and my budget? So those are some of the things that I look at. 
uh, as a CISO. So, and like the ongoing maintenance costs, et cetera, right? Data consolidation, blah, blah, blah. So. Yeah, well, and and what what areas we might be able to look at to uh, to reduce our overall cybersecurity uh, insurance as well? There might be a tool set that if we were to implement that, we could actually get a significant cost redu- reduction from our cybersecurity insurance, and may actually be able to pay for itself. Absolutely, absolutely, awesome. Awesome. So I'm kind of running out of questions here, guys, and some of the questions that I wanted to ask. I was kind of hoping on Joe here to lean into how to automate some of the security processes in our tool sets. My apologies. And so I guess, you know, I'm running out of questions. So Chris, if you wanted somebody to walk away from this today with five things, what are the top five things you want them to walk away from this discussion today on? I I would really look at... (laughs) I, I still very much am a, a business process per, uh, um, uh, point of view, um, making sure that we have laid out processes, documented processes for uh, not just uh, remediation, but also for uh, vulnerability man- management as, as a whole, um, that, that we have san- standards, we have them, them documented, we can bring on new, new staff, get them uh, put in, into place uh, very easy and quickly, get them up to speed, which obviously includes training, um, decreasing, you know, the, the number of either, uh, you know, uh, uh, obscure uh, uh, different tool set, sets that that you can actually go out and find folks that that know uh, these know these tool sets uh, easily. Um, do the application rationalization um, so that we we can uh, de- determine whether or not there's applications within the environment, um, uh, not just from a business perspective, but as well as from a cybersecurity perspective, um, to uh, decrease that overall uh, footprint as well as decrease the number of redu- redundant applications uh, in the environment. Uh, I think is really going to streamline uh, things as well as create processes for prioritizing our overall vulnerability management. Uh, strategies. Good. No, that's excellent. Those are excellent points. Joe, same question to you. Yeah. So what I'd uh, hope people would take away from this is that, you know, they trying to leverage, you know, more integrations you know, amongst your products. Uh, so you can get into, you know, SOAR or even XDR, you know, get into more, more advanced uh, detection and response or even fully automated detection and response. Because you, know, you can usually get to a point where 99, you know, percent of all your alerts can have some pre-mitigations. You know, so you might you might block somebody or uh, somebody's systems uh, based on something you found in their vulnerability management or something you found in a behavior where you know you say, okay, let's turn off Zscaler. You know, let's uh, let's turn off access to you know financial applications at a minimum until we've you know verified whether it's a threat or not. Uh, so, you know, that, that can definitely help, but you need to have, you know, all your, your logs feed into that. You need to have all your tools integrated, uh, to even approach that. So we do have a question out of the audience here. I'm going to ask both of you gentlemen real quick. So Joe, how do you leverage, or when do you make the decision to leverage a VAR in their tool set? Uh, yeah, so value-added resellers, right? So it, it really depends on what they're, what they're offering. So a lot of times it's just, deployment, but they're not, they're, they're either really good at the engineering or they're really good at the configuration. And it's usually not both. So the, the biggest thing is to make sure you have both of those capabilities 
because uh, if they can't help you with training and they can't help you with you know, or or go out and get training, I mean, training is always a big part of it. Uh, with the VAR or not, you know, the the VAR, yeah, the VAR can just help you with tool selections, but you know, you got to make sure that they're not just getting one big kickback from one vendor and not another, and they try to push you into a certain tool. Exactly. I've seen that happen before. So, uh, you know, I recommend doing your own analysis before contacting a VAR, seeing what you might want to do, and then start asking questions about specific products, not not the topic necessarily. Okay. And then do then doing some cross analysis with uh, with other organizations as well around that application set as well as that VAR and, and you know obviously do do your research on on them don't just trust you know anything that they're saying frankly. <laughs> no, we. I don't know about you, but I don't trust sales folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, oh yeah, they, they don't care about your security; they care about your dollars. But yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I don't want to pick up security guy or sales guys here, but. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Awesome guys. Well, I want to thank you guys. Uh, I want to thank you guys for coming out today and talking to us. I really appreciate your, in- your perspective, Chris and Joe. I really appreciate your, in- appreciate your inputs. I appreciate your last couple of things on the way out the door. You know, what things you'd like to see people, you know, understand before from walking away from this today. I do appreciate it. And Joe, Chris, hopefully we can have you both back again in the future. All right. Fantastic. Thank yeah, you. Gentlemen. Awesome. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. All right. Have a good one. Everyone have a good day.